All right, welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. <laughs> oh man, that is the uh, that's the music that's available to us until I get around to uploading our uh, our old music. But um, as always, I'm your host Jacob Lindsay, and I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And um, for the first time in several weeks, I actually have show notes. Oh, uh, so we will. We'll be covering an article, something that you and I discussed uh, through our, you know, our ongoing texts. Um, yeah, our, was about the craft, the craft beer bubble. So I kind of wanted, to, I want to tease that before we get into wine reviews. But I, I found say, a our good prolific uh, texts this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, as you know, like it's just been a wall of texts about stock market stuff. But uh, yeah. from me, but it. But you know, sprinkled in there is a little bit of uh, other stuff as well. So <laughs> yeah, random, nucle- random, odd nuclear reactor things I've found. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and then nuclear-powered Sterling engines, which I think is the absolute coolest thing I've found on the internet. Um, it is cool. Well, you know, recently. I remember when I you remember when I used to be really into Sterling engines. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that I think it might even just be on the Wikipedia for Sterling engines, where they say like there's not like a lot of uses of it these days, but they use it in spaceships for, I guess they will take like depleted uranium or something like that, or, or maybe just waste or something, put it into like a sealed box. And then the ambient heat from that will be used to just kind of run a Sterling engine. Yeah. Well, you remember like the article I sent you like, um, like bacon's revenge or something like that, where the guy was talking about all that stored nuclear energy like spent nuclear rods and it's like all reprocessable it could be put in different you know used in many different ways but like there is decay heat decay and you could totally do some of that sterling stuff with it right yeah and it would i mean it wouldn't be necessarily a huge amount of energy but it could be uh like enough to do something that was actually one of the things that i was talking about with one of liberty chats is uh there was an article I don't know why it got fed to me because I stopped looking at Gizmodo. You remember I used to watch, look at Gizmodo all the time. Oh, me too. I just got, I, I got so sick of that. The lefty nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but somehow an article got fed to me in my feed that was like, uh, something along the lines of, hang on, Victoria's trying to signal things to me. I'm looking for Scotch I don't know where it is. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. She was looking for tape, but I, it's not in here. Anyways. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. So this Gizmodo article got fed to me and um, it was basically like a guy who. So are you familiar with uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens? I think we've talked about them in, in the past, but I don't know okay. off the top of my head. I, I'll be I'll be 100% honest. I don't really understand the appeal. But it's basically, it's like, it's, um, you know, Bitcoin is fungible, so it doesn't matter which coin you have, they're all the same, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a NFT, it's, it is non-fungible, which means like that specific one means something. So the article is basically this guy took a picture of this cat he adopted, posted on Facebook, and somebody offered to uh, do an NFT for that picture and pay him 50 bucks. So... And he was like, "Yeah, he accepted it." And then he, and then, and then the gist of the article was that he looked into it, and it turns out it's so environmentally unfriendly to use crypto, right? So, mm-hmm. 
Um, so my thought was that there's this thing in crypto or in, or it's like an overlay on Bitcoin called BISC that you can use to color your tokens. So um, the, the BISC network would be kind of a side network, but it would keep track of which ones have this color. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my idea was that you would offer a Bitcoin green coloring for Bitcoins that were mined using renewable energy and then, and then sell those at a premium to people who care about that kind of thing. I like it. It also, um, like from a non-fungible token standpoint, like I could see the appeal for like smart contract. Mm-hmm. So like the token is, let's say, you know, it's divisible by 10 and that those 10 could be a share of like a reserve of wine barrel. Yeah. And that could be a way of tracking who the ultimate ownership could go to not necessarily yeah, like, like a like, futures contract sort of. Well, not only that, but also like, let's say that if you could do like a, like say you were the producer of that wine barrel and you wanted to know what happened to it. How was the wine? Like for trying to be able to like track down people like, Hey, you know, this was a thousand gallon barrel. I don't know if they're that big, but let's just pretend they are. And then you could track down all 1000 gallons and be like, well, you know, Hey, this guy got 50% of it and he lost 50% of what he got because, you know, Jose in the warehouse accidentally knocked it over, you know, something like that. So like you could kind of try to like, especially in those, uh, like wine communes and, and stuff where, and like France where like, not necessarily France, but like where the producer of the wine may not necessarily be the end seller or like they don't produce the bottle. Um, so that could be like a way of kind of figuring out like, Hey, did I do a good job? Yeah. It, oh, yeah that and, might be. and that's where, cause like one of the things that I find like interesting about the idea of smart contracts is like the self-execution that you and I have talked about in the past on the show. But one of the things that I also think is a little bit difficult is like having to implement the new technology necessarily, but like a non-fungible token could be very useful in that as a stopgap until something else came out. And, and I mean like the other problem that I have with a non-fungible token is I'm sure you would guess is it's just immediately a way for the government to track you. Yeah. So I guess, I guess like that, I I don't, I don't understand a whole lot about it. Like I, I, was just sort of recently introduced to the idea of it um, mm-hmm. because mostly because I guess um, what's his name? The dude who started Twitter uh, Jack sold Dorsey. his, yeah, he sold an NFT of his first tweet mm-hmm. for 2.5 million or, or maybe the bids up to 2.5 million. I can't remember what it, what it was, but it was I think like, it actually sold for 2.5, but you might be right. It might've just been the yeah, bid. I, I have no, I, I don't know exactly, but like I remember going like, what the heck is this? And then looking into it and going, and, and like it's funny because I was I was watching because that's all I do now is watch stock stuff. I was watching the Tasty Trade, one of their one of their like podcast kind of things. that's about twenty minutes long, where the the main guy uh, Tom uh, Sosanoff was like trying to explain to the other dude in the show. I can't remember his name. Um, an NFT and the, and the guy was like, it was a really funny exchange. So the guy was like, okay, so what do I get if you get if I have an NFT? And, he, and the guy is like, well or Tom's like, well, you have, you know, you get to say that you have the, the original, that it's the first one. He goes, okay, do I get royalties from that? And he goes, well, no. He goes, can I prevent other people from seeing the picture? 
Well, no. Can uh, can I take it off of Twitter and put it only on Facebook? No. Okay. So what can I do with it? Nothing. You just you just have the original. It just shows that you're the one who has the original. And so I and I was like, okay, that seems really silly. But at the same time, like if you have an original Picasso, is the Picasso different than a print of the Picasso? Not really. I mean, it is a different physical item, but it's the same picture. And uh, like, can you prevent other people from making copies of the picture? No, not really. I mean, you, you can try to use the law and stuff like that to do that. But really, people are going to be able to replicate it as many times as they want. That's kind of the point of digital media is that it's replicatable infinitely with no additional input other than power. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so like, it's kind of like, I'm like, okay, so I sort of see why this is a digital equivalent. But at the same time, like maybe even though like their whole point in this conversation was like, if you were a collector, you'd get it. I do collect things and I don't get it. Yeah. But like, so here, here's one of the things that I would point out. So my wife was like, so do you know who Jacques Pepin is? I don't think so. He's a, like a French chef and he's moved to the United States years and years ago. And he, he does like a bunch of PBS shows and stuff like that. And he's like, his show is called like the joy of cooking. And he's just this grandfatherly Frenchman who teaches people to cook on public television. And, you know, he also likes to paint and he likes to paint like chickens. And, you know, my wife loves chickens. Yeah. So my wife goes, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Jacques Pepin released this picture. And it's like, I want to buy it. And I went, okay, so buy it. And she's like, it's like $260. And I was like, okay, like, that's not a lot of money for a Jacques Pepin painting. Go ahead and buy it. So she buys it and it gets here. And it's actually a print of the painting, which to me was infuriating because oh, interesting. Okay. for 260 bucks, it, like it wasn't, and they were numbered prints and there's only like 200 of the prints. But like one of the things about like Picasso is he did a lot of prints. So there's a big difference between like a, the original non print, like, a, so like on a painting, you can see the brush strokes that go into it. Sure. So it's not infinitely recreatable now digitally. Yes, I agree. That is like, I don't get the point of that, but like with a print, one of the things that they, you know, would they, they would see on like some of these artists who did a lot of prints is the older prints, especially like wood block prints, like the later run prints would be a lot more worn down. Right. So the print quality wouldn't be as good. Now, of course, to, you know, nowadays, like I'm sure like, unless the machine is messing up, like it's pretty much the same, but to me, like an original that you can see like the work that went into it totally makes sense. But <laughs> I think the Jack Dorsey one only went for so much because like all those NFL ones are going crazy at the moment. Yeah. Like yeah. all the sports ones that we've kind of talked about in passing on the show, I think, or it may have been on like the pre-show at some be, point, yeah. but like I could see people, why people are making like a big deal. Like, and I think this is again, you know, to the anarchy part of our show, like this is just all functions of the federal reserve. Oh, these, for sure. These yeah, wouldn't uh, be, anywhere near as popular are important 
if there wasn't just a stupid amount of money floating around. Right. Yeah. And, right. and, and that's actually, it's interesting that, that you bring that up because that came up in this, in these tasty work guys conversations as well as they'd be, they were like, you know, it, there is so much new money and it could right now, a lot of it's speculation. It could turn out that these things are worth a ton in the future. And so people are willing to pay a extremely high premium for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we don't know yet because, and that's one of the things like just from a technical standpoint, the kind of the more hardcore technical, and this is my understanding. I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, the kind of the people who work on the code for Ethereum and, and the lightning network and all that sort of stuff is that they're still trying to figure out how to do certain things like contracts. And this is sort of a almost there type of thing. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that once it's committed to the blockchain, it's not, you can't change it. So, and with contracts, like you do kind of need to change it sometimes, or you need to add to it, or it needs to be, you know, forked in some way, you it's know, the, so add, the addendumness of a contract because yeah, exactly. you and like I could, that's, yeah, you and I enter a contract and the contract is fine, but then like, let's say that, you know, you and I contract on a piece of land to own together and there's no, we don't think that there's oil on the land. And then there's right. oil and it's like, Hey, our contract is 50, 50 split of the oil, unless these conditions happen, you know, you have right. to add and expand to the contract, which to me, like, and this is probably because I don't understand programming well enough, but there's so many people doing stuff in the crypto space that this should have been figured out in the last two years. Like, apparently, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand enough about it either, but I think the, like the issue I think is that if you, if you make something, if you figure, if basically if you make it so that things can be changed, it makes it not immutable. And that's the issue is that the whole point of blockchain is that it's immutable, but once you make it mutable, it defeats the purpose of blockchain. Yeah. But like, this is so like. You know, the idea of incremental backup, like with an R-Sync? Yeah. Where you're not necessarily backing up the entire thing every time, but like there's a functional, like you can go back to like the older versions still, and like usually there isn't data loss. To me, it, it doesn't make sense that the blockchain wouldn't have basically like, hey, this contract on... And I'm just going to make it super easy for all everybody. Like, say, say the blockchain is just a number line. The contract is line number 600 to 602. Yeah. So there's that. But then, okay, now I understand why it would be difficult because you want 602 to also say, hey, there's an addendum on 4003 that has to be referenced. You can't just go, hey, 602, execute. And you're like, but wait, what about the addendum on three, you know, th- whatever the 3000 number I gave was. So right. now that makes a lot more sense to me. But like, this is also one of those ones where like your cousin who is like really into trying to get you to go to like the dump to find child porn computers to put right. people in jail. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like it, to me, it's like one of those once like one of the, the guy who is obsessed with this specific thing like your cousin was obsessed with that 
Yeah, it was such a weird thing, but yeah, Get, yeah. Yeah, gets into this. It's like, oh yeah, here you go. And, you know, it's going to come up with it because that's one of the other things is like you, so like, just hear me out. Like, so in the, in six, six Oh, 600 to 602 is the contract, but there is a executing thing that happens at 603 that every time 603 is read, which 602 causes 603 to be read. So you can't look at the contract without executing these next two steps. 603 goes, Hey, look for anything that references 600 to 602 as an addendum to the contract. Like, yeah. And I think that that's kind of what they're, they're trying to figure out is that like, this is that, so there's like, there's layering. So I think mm-hmm. what it, that what they're trying to do is put this on a, an additional layer so that like you come to the, you know, the first agreement on the contract and then that's committed. But within that agreement, it says, Hey, none of none of this really matters that much you have to go over to this secondary layer to figure out how the actual contract works so like there's mm-hmm. like and then and then that secondary la- I, I don't know exactly how it works but then on that secondary layer it doesn't necessarily allow um you to it, it still is immutable but it's like this is now taken care of separately so then as new blocks are being added and committed then eventually when the whole thing is complete then that's committed again at like block, you know, yeah. what you were saying, like block 1000. And now that's now that the contract was finally completed and then it's committed to block, you know, 8,000 or whatever yeah. way down, down the road. And I yeah, think that's, that's kind of how they're trying to solve it. I think that they just, right now there's, because it's kind of cumbersome and they're, and like they're, they haven't figured it out exactly. I think that's sort of what's the problem is right now is where it's yeah. like, well, there's not really an advantage to this yet. And, and that's one of the things that like I, how I explain the database at work to people, like when referencing like the cost center level, it's like, yeah, the system stores it by this simple code three, but then it has a table that defines what three is in this one specific instance. Right. And that's kind of like I, how I would want people to think about this second layer, at least as the way we're conceptualizing it, which may be completely wrong. Could be, yeah, could be totally wrong. We should have Rollo Roll on again to me. Oh, talk. man, you've ruined my next joke. Um, but oh. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Um, so um, the secondary layer is where, like, you basically, when you go into the secondary layer, you have to always see the entire contract. But then there's addendums that could erase that other part of the contract. So like one of the things about the structure of way you can say something in German is like ich gehe zu Kino nicht and nicht being no. So like what you're saying is I'm not going to the movie theater, but in English you would say, I am not going to go to the movie theater where you, so like when you're learning English, you look for that like adjustment first before the noun. But in German, you can place the adjustment after the noun. So it reads as if you're saying, like, I'm going to go to the movie theater. And if you're thinking about, like, reading a text from a friend, I'm going to go to the movie theater. Oh, cool. No. What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where, like, I, you know, I kind of think about, like, that, like, string of code would basically be saying, you know, here's this contract. When Jacob gives Mason $100, Mason's going to give Jacob two fifty dollars bills in exchange. And then right. – the contract says no. Mason's gonna Jacob's gonna give Mason a bunch of twenties, and he's still gonna give him the fifties. Whatever, like so. But what I was gonna the joke I was gonna make was, oh, well, this has been uh, the Rollo and Slappy Show. Now back to Tasting Anarchy, where we talk about wine. 
That's right. That's a good idea. So, <laughs> and, and actually, and, in this and this week, you chose the grape. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you can go ahead and start and tell us what you got and what you think of it because uh, I got the same grape but from a completely different area. And yeah, found a very differently like of it. Three thousand plus miles away. Um, yeah. So I got a vermentino wine um from barbersville uh vineyard in virginia um so it's their 2019 reserva vermentino reserva um it was 22 dollars, so it was on sale it's uh, normally like 23 um at kroger maybe it's like normally 26 and i got it for 23 but it was like case price 22 i, I don't know i got it it was it was discounted somewhat uh, according to their normal price um so this is a, a white wine. Um, so Jacob's drinking a white wine. I'm drinking a white wine for the first time in a while. Um, that isn't just like wine in passing that somebody had. Um, yeah. I found it to be like, it's very, mine was very pale. Um, so kind of a golden pale, actually less than golden, more like um, buttercup pale. It was weird. Um, Interesting. Okay. Didn't have much of a smell, kind of a white winey smell. Um so my notes on the flavor originally were, and I'm going to pull them up. So this is basically all I got mild acidity floral. Um, so that's kind of all I got as I, as I drank more of it today after I let it warm up and <laughs> excuse me, cause the bottle was actually pretty cool. Cause it told you like a serving temperature, like 55. They had a couple of reds there from Barbersville and it said, you know, 65, it was giving you the serving temperature, which I thought was neat. Um, so I, as I had more of it, maybe some honeysuckle, like there was definitely more to it. My wife enjoyed it. Um, she liked it actually. Um, but she didn't drink like a big glass of it or anything like that. But like, I had also had two like oatmeal stouts before the glasses I had today. Um, but like I had one oatmeal stout and then like an hour later had a second one. And then like 30 minutes after I finished that one, then I had some of the wine. Um, Mm, so it, it wasn't bad, but to me, it just, it's kind of like, as I always kind of describe Merlot, there's stuff going on, but I'm just not getting it. Um, mm. but it was nice to try something different, um, to have a white, uh, again, they also have a, a Fiano, which I don't think I've had either. So I was thinking about trying to get that one next, um, just cause it's wines that I hadn't had before, but to do a Virginia wine, um, and this one is like kind of a Southern Italian and Corsica, um, which is not super southern in Italy because it's a like off the coast. Okay. And- Let me tell you something. I just looked sure. up and and apparently did not realize this. Okay, Corsica mm-hmm. is the smaller island north and is part of France. Yeah, and then it's Sar- where uh, Napoleon Sardinia is larger and is south of that, and mm-hmm. that's where where my Vermentino is from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Corsica is one of the places it can come from, uh, which is French. Um, and, uh, Corsica is where, um, if I remember correctly and I hope I'm not getting it wrong, I, that's where Napoleon was born. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if maybe I did know this and just never kind of put it together, but now I'm looking at it on a map and I'm like, I had no idea that that was part of France. I thought that <laughs> I, like I thought both those islands were part of Italy. No, yeah. It's it's funny that they're not. Yeah. Huh. And there there must be some sort of weird history. I'm I'm curious to know in Corsica, like, what the, like, ethnic makeup is. I bet you I could find on on, uh, Wikipedia. Let's see. What do they, let's see. 
demographics. Let's go to demographics on this and uh, 28% are, were of the, of the uh, people. Okay. So this is interesting. So um, as of 2011, 56.3% of the population of Corsica was born on Corsica. How many? Uh, 56.3. Okay, 56. Gotcha. For some yeah. reason, I thought I heard 11. I was like, what the heck? Uh, 56.3. 28.6 were born in France. 0.3 were born in uh, other French areas, like other, like I guess they're overseas holdings. Mm-hmm. And um, 5% were born in places that allowed them to have French citizenship. So I guess maybe born of French parents. That's that's actually a really interesting just statistic. I wonder what that what that uh, relates to. But as far as languages go there, um, French is the official language and is uh, most widely spoken on the island. And they have a language breakdown. And as you get further on the island, the more you start seeing people speak Italian and uh, whatever this other language is that I've never heard of. Sardano Sardinian uh, I guess that would be I guess it would be Sardinian so my well, guess I mean, would like be I, that sorry, would be like I said that language. in a way like I knew what the hell I was talking about that, that was just kind of like maybe it was pronounced that way could you be it, it just says Sardano on the thing but it uh, so it just it it's broken down that like it is French way up high and then like as it gets closer to the other island it becomes Italian or uh, or Italian languages rather than French so it's, it's very interesting that we should look more into these islands. I know that they do um, a wine that is aged underwater mm-hmm. in the ocean. We talked about it once, so I'd be and I'd be curious yeah. to try that. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know so this they, about these islands. I I just thought they were both Italian. Yeah, they they speak a uh, Corsican too, and Sardinian. So or Sardu. Yeah, I see what you. I think I see the one you're talking about. Okay. But yeah, so uh, Napoleon was born on Corsica. Interesting. So I've always, I always thought that was interesting, but yeah, I mean, it's way far away from France. Like when you're looking at the map of France, but I mean, like, you know, given how much territory France still holds in the overseas territories, like that makes a lot more sense. Like yeah. thinking about it, but yeah, looking at it, it's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you kind of are like, it's sort of like in the Italian armpit there or whatever. And like, so you're kind of like, Oh, it makes sense that this would be part of Italy. And then, Nope, it's part of France. Okay, all right, got it. <laughs> Keeping in mind that Napoleon was the king of Italy for like nearly ten years. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, he conquered Italy. I mean, like, but this is the thing is like the king of Italy. Like, is it like full Italy or is it like you know how it is? Like when people are yeah. like, "Oh, Italy," and you're like, "Well, historically, Italy's not really a thing. Like, there's just a bunch of That's states." True. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, I guess like question. and like what we think of Italy is actually less than a hundred years old or, or about a hundred years old, I guess. Yeah. So it's like, it's uh, kind of like one of those weird things where same, same thing with Germany. It's like, you know, the German Confederation or whatever was like only 140, 150 years ago. Exactly. So yeah. Interesting. Very interesting though. Very, uh, I, I'm, I, I, this has been an enlightening wine. Um, do you want to say anything more about yours? Um, so like, this is one of those ones where, it like the residual is uh so the residual sugars on mine was 0.1 which is 
like pretty low in my opinion for a white. Um, it wasn't super sweet, had some pretty strong acidity. Um, so if you like Grigio or like Riesling, like the, the drier versions of those, um, definitely worth giving it a, a try. And, you know, if you, if you can find Barbersville, which you can find pretty easily in Virginia, um, given it's a Virginia wine, give it a shot. Like it's, um, it's different and worth trying. And, you know, if you have a better taste palette than I do, definitely worth trying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed the one that I got and I still have a little bit left of, of this glass. Um, I probably won't have any more tonight, but, um, so it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about mine and then we'll get into, uh, more general Vermentino because I, I took some notes on this uh, from uh, Wine Folly, which I don't think we've referenced in a long time, but that was one of our original go-tos for uh, trying to kind of put knowledge into the show. Mm-hmm. Was Wine Folly, and and I do, and I like the way they break down a lot of this stuff. But I'll talk about mine a little bit. Uh, as I said, it was not from Corsica; it's from Sardinia. Uh, it's called Palmolias. Palmalias, P-A-L-M-A-L-I-A-S. No idea, but... Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Handsome, handsome bottle. Uh, It's got like a really neat little sketch of like a kind of like a windswept tree. And then in the back, it's like a, it's like a, maybe like a charcoal sketch or something. Hmm. Um, But like a windswept tree. And then in the background is like a little village. Um, And I, I like the bottle. It was available at total wine for $17. Ooh. Uh, so pretty inexpensive. It, it's in the Italian section. Uh, it's interesting that it's in the, it's in the Italian section and it's for some reason with the Tuscan wines, not in its own area. And I'm wondering if it's just because the variety, there was several bottles of Vermentino there, but they were all Tuscan except for this one. That's why I got this one. Well, it's like, so, um, like the one time I was at total wine out in Virginia beach and I got like the Georgian wines, but they were also, or they were like with the Algerian wines or something like that. It was like some weird combination where you're like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 um, yeah, but I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense. Like Tuscany is on the coast next to Corsica. So like North East of Sardinia. I, I mean, yeah, those, I don't know. those islands aren't that close though. Yeah, like I guess I don't Italy. know. I, maybe like, they just didn't have anywhere else to put it. So they're yeah. like, yeah, we'll put it here. Yeah, I mean, it also um, could be just like an importer thing. Like maybe they come be, yeah. from, like maybe it's like the person who generally gets the Tuscans generally also gets those ones and they're just like, eh, for simplicity's sake. That's true because, I mean, I don't know how many come from that region, but if they only have like one, it doesn't really make sense to try to put it in its own section. Yeah. But as I mentioned, I, I've, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this. I would say um, as far as whites go, uh, maybe third or fourth favorite so far. I, I, would, I would say number one favorite for me would be um, – hmm, what would be my – Sauvignon Blanc probably is my number one favorite white. Not Vignette. Followed by – now I think Vignette would be my second. Um, okay. And then maybe Albarino. And then probably this Vermentino. I'm, so far, like this has been, I think, very good. Uh, mm-hmm. for white wine because i'm not really a huge fan of white wine i would actually put this kind of more on the albarino side it was a heavier bodied white mm-hmm. uh it had it did have a lot of those kind of typical white flavors citrus um 
sour apple, that kind of thing. But it also had stuff that I would associate more with like a heavier flavor, cloves, cinnamon, um, more like a sugary pear kind of, uh, really, really a very, I, I really liked it a lot. It was, it's heavier. It mm-hmm. is the only way I can describe it than like Sauvignon Blanc, which I think, and, and it may be that, that, that Vignet is actually my favorite, but like Sauvignon Blanc is what was on my mind while I was trying it. I think it's because this particular one had good acidity, but it had a heavy mouthfeel and it had these other kind of heavier spice flavors that I don't really associate with a light bodied wine. Yeah. So like, I think with Vignet, it's more viscous. It's almost more oily. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm-hmm. like this like that was one of the things that Barbersville described about theirs was, um, or at least the variety that it is like full bodied or has a heavier mouthfeel. But to me, it wasn't in like an oily sense. And I know Vignet is not necessarily like very few wines are like what you would call oily, but right, right. like Vignet, it, it's more coating in the weight. Whereas this was like, yeah. it's like there's more density to the liquid without being like, like a because oil is not necessarily tacky but like that yeah grease weight yeah exactly that all sounds super unappealing but (laughs) yeah but and i i understand what you're saying because i I think this is sort of a little bit along those side because the other thing about it too is that it is dry so it doesn't have that like heaviness that a sweet wine has Mm -hmm. so it it was a very dry wine and i could really see this wine going really well with like spicy Indian food. I think that would be a great pairing. That's what I would put it with. Yeah. Um, I think with especially like a vegetarian base. Yeah. That yours sounds like, like a paneer, like a, one of the cheeses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, with yours, like I can definitely see that mine, like definitely more of a, um, like a seafood kind of pairing, I think. Okay. Um, Cause like we also had like, steak for dinner tonight um and i i really only had like two or three mouthfuls left um before like i finished my wine before i had the shake but like um so the grapes are allowed to achieve blah 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 potential alcohol in the vine then our classic chardonnay french and american oak for fermentation yeah so like i'm just reading kind of more of like oh this is chardonnay i cooked on the wrong bottle um um, the one because they had like some little interesting notes. I've just managed to click on the wrong one both times. This is super weird. <laughs> but like pairings of fish, uh, shellfish, poultry, and Asian cuisine. Um, so depending on how oh, you define Asian, um, that would make more sense. Because like one of the things that like you know in British English, a lot of times they'll when they say Asian, they specifically mean Indian as opposed to yeah. like East Asian, as they may say. But I think I think too, like one of the things that this may have been why it came to my mind was uh, well, Rallo messaged earlier and he said that he was making a lamb curry. Oh, uh, right, right before I opened this and started drinking it, so I think maybe that was on my mind. And also, we've been we've been uh, not really cooking this last week. Like I, I usually do all the cooking at the house, and and this week I just kind of made like, you know, you know the um, the Bella turkey sandwich, my favorite turkey sandwich from uh yeah, our yeah, former yeah. client yeah the best the best turkey sandwich in my opinion so i have a, a facsimile of that the victoria really likes and um we've just been eating that kind of all week mm-hmm. for every meal and so i got kind of sick of that and was eating instant ramen instead 
Um, but I got this like really good Korean instant ramen that's mm-hmm. super spicy. And that's kind of what's that like sort of spicy palette is in my mind. But I, and I do like the Korean ramen, but while I was trying it, and I think just in response to Rollo having told me that he was making this, I'm like, man, I really wish I had Indian food like that, that like ungodly spicy vindaloo I used to make. <laughs> I, yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that would be. That would be tops right now. That would be really yeah. good. <laughs> What's super funny about that is how how you went from nearly no like heat spice, yeah, to like just a level. Like I mean, like, it's not that I ate super spicy food, but I would eat spicy food more frequently than you would. Yeah. To like far surpassing what I could handle or want to try. <laughs> in like the space of what to me felt like nine months and it, I mean, it was it was that, but it yeah was i mean quick. it might have it might it might have been but i mean like i think it was like just moving out of my parents house and sort of my palate opening up a little mm-hmm. bit introduced me to and i and I've, I've talked about this before is what i used to associate with spicy was tabasco Mm-hmm. And I still to this day don't like Tabasco. I, I, yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that vegetable-y spicy flavor. Hmm. Um, and but I do love cayenne, like that cayenne spice, mm-hmm. it, or habanero, like which is a kind of a different thing. But like, yeah, the, like the habanero spice, I love. It's more fruity in its spiciness. Like, yeah, yeah, and I even like. Um, I even like I'm not really crazy about the jalapenos that like come in like in the like jar. I don't know if they're pickled, but they like come in like a jar. Mm-hmm. I really like fresh jalapenos. Yeah. But I but that like whatever that is, like the Tabasco flavor. And this another one I like is um which might be cayenne. I'm not sure what what I'm not sure what makes it spicy, but that like the uh that Thai red spicy stuff that is uh has a rooster on it. Sriracha. Sriracha, yeah, that mm-hmm. I like that a lot too. But there's like there's certain spices where it's got this like overpowering vegetable flavor that I just am like no. And, and Tabasco is the only way I can describe it because, and I think it was because growing up, my dad ate Tabasco when he wanted to spice things up, and I just never liked Tabasco. I still don't like it. Yeah. Um, and huh. uh, but I love I love sriracha. I love uh, adding some cayenne to stuff cloves which is a different kind of spicy again that sort of sweet spice i mm-hmm. like that a lot um well and the cayenne is is what's in like vindaloo or uh curry that it's that kind of like hot cayenne or habanero well, well habanero is not really in in indian food usually but no not really um yeah but that but that sort of like that spicy cayenne and stuff like that i like that a lot um but yeah, it, I think it was kind of the. But I. But you and I started. Hanging, you know, I messaged you this the other day. You and I have now known each other for more than a third of our lives. Yes. And uh, this is, I think, in this third of our lives, because we were going through our twenties, was I think one of the most developmental as far as like cultural development mm-hmm. goes. And and I think that has a lot to do with like our food choices, and and especially since we've done the show together. And before that, we were we were trying a lot of new foods, a lot of new drinks and things like that as we went through our twenties. And I think that's kind of why it was just such a abrupt change going from like 
what I like, what I would consider going like, oh, I don't like this because it's too spicy. But like, I wouldn't describe it as spicy necessarily anymore. I would, I would describe it as like this vegetable flavor that I was, I'm not crazy about. That a lot of peppers do have. Like, I still don't really like bell peppers that much unless they're cooked. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's like a, there's like a vegetable flavor to bell peppers that I'm just not. I don't like it. Huh. And um, I don't know how to describe it other than like vegetableiness. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just not. It's not for me. Well, it's um, like on a pulled carolina pork like i think tabasco goes well on that yeah. but otherwise i don't really use tabasco so right. like there's a there's a restaurant here called the leaping lizard that um uh yeah I that we I, really I, like ashley and i really like um and they make their own hot sauce so the last not the last time we went in but the time before that we went in and like they were already kind of, it's not that their service is bad. It's just, they're always kind of understaffed. It seems for how busy they always are, especially for brunch. Yeah. Okay. So like they only do brunch on like Sundays. It's very popular. It's very good. Um, okay. But like the last time I was there, it was like, Hey, like I want this breakfast burrito that they do. It's like a brisket breakfast burrito. It's great. Um, can I get, some hot sauce and they brought me like the Tabasco and I was just like, or Texas Pete or, you know, like one of those. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Can I get like the stuff you guys make? Like you guys are specifically (laughs) kind of famous locally for your hot sauce. Okay. And you bring me the national thing. Like what's going on? But you know, like I understand in like the restrictions of COVID, like maybe there was something else. Like they brought it eventually, but it was just like, it's like it took me five minutes to track you down. Now I've got to wait another five plus minutes as you go get me the other hot sauce after I already waited five minutes. So, right, but right. Like I've never been a big fan of that, but like I'd also, I do like bell peppers a lot, um, and I do like them raw. Um, I do like them cooked too. So when you were saying like this vegetableiness, I was like, I don't know what flavor he specifically means but I don't really care for Tabasco all that much, but like in a, like it's too vinegary way, which I don't associate with bell peppers at all. But like, I also haven't had Tabasco in probably two years. So like, and you know me, like I've never had like a super strong sense of taste anyway. So I'm like, I'm not putting any of this together, but I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's so many things so I, sent, I don't like that you love. So I sent you a, a hot sauce that I discovered. Uh, one of my coworkers, Antonio, turned me onto this. It's from uh, his part of Mexico, which is I guess central Mexico. It's a it's a little bit different hot sauce. It's called the uh, Valentina. Where did you send it um, to me? Uh, on the uh, the um, text chat. Oh, okay. This yeah, the signal chat. So, have you ever had this one before? Uh, hang on a second, because I I've been. As as you and I have discussed, um, I've been trying to kind of. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen this, but I haven't had it. Okay, this is really good. So we, I keep this around the house now, and I use this a lot. I, I probably use this as much as my dad uses Tabasco. Oh, okay. which is just like on any any sort of like meat that I think is a little bit bland, I'll, I'll squirt this on it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's it is spicy, but it's also uh, a little bit vinegary and uh, and sweet. Not sweet, uh, like limey. It has like a lime flavor kind of hmm. to it. 
Uh, I really like it a lot. Uh, I recommend it to anybody who's interested. It's it's called Valentina. Um, it great on all Mexican food, basically, but also just good to spice up any sort of like kind of bland food. And and I, I sometimes mess up and make my make food bland because lately I've been having a really hard time with salt on food. Not not adding too little, adding like way too much. And I don't know what it, I, I think because we've been cooking a lot of Asian food, so it calls for like soy sauce. Mm-hmm. And then I also put like a, a decent amount of salt and then it just is too salty. Um, gotcha. I don't know. We've, we've gotten like way off topic of this, but. No, no, this, I mean, I think this is like what people come for. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> so anyways, so the one I had was um, uh, Palmalayas. So uh, mm-hmm. P-A-L-M-A-L-I-A-S. I highly recommend it. I think it's very good. I may even get some more of this. Um, I'm kind of curious to try. They had, I think, about six uh, Vermentinos at the Total Wine we went to, the, the one that's closest to us down there in South, South Arlington. Mm-hmm. Or I guess it's Central Arlington. Um, I might try the other ones just to see if maybe this is just a particularly good one. Uh, and I just lucked out because I do really like it. Yeah. Uh, so and I could also see this going just really well with a lot of food that I like, a lot, a lot of spicy food. Nice. So speaking of hot sauces, um, I will recommend my favorite one at the moment, and it's El Yucateco's um, Chipotle sauce. Um, so it's you know got the smoky flavor of Chipotle, uh, but they have a wide range of sauces. And there's a podcast called uh, the Sofa King Podcast, and they're like a true crime aliens kind of like um if you know the last podcast on the left they're like a california version of those guys because they're all from bakersfield or they all live in bakersfield right now that's funny so um but they're they're very funny and they're actually sponsored by this hot sauce so interesting like a lot of mexican restaurants will have el yucateco or valentino like i've seen it at those restaurants so but yeah, their uh, Chipotle hot sauce is good. So yeah, it'd be really interesting if you uh, get any more of those varieties and see, excuse me, I'm burping up a storm over here. Um, and if you send me, if you think about it, if you send me the link at a uh, total wine, I'll see if they have it here. Yeah. Or close by. Oh yeah, maybe, we could do, we could maybe I'll get one and, and just see um, how it tastes. But yeah, like, yeah, that, uh, you know, that, that might be a good, a good, like for the next couple of episodes, I feel like we have like more direction on the episodes when we try to do some sort of coordinated something. Well, I think there's um, like two issues with the coordination one, because you've been doing so much trading, you haven't really been like necessarily, it's not that you haven't, cause I also haven't gone and found articles and been like super enthused about the wines that I've been having. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like I've been trying to do like drinking less and, and trying to modulate some health stuff. Like not that I'm having any health problems, just trying to, you know, be healthier. Yeah. Like David Sinclair or like, um, uh, Dave Ashbury, like live forever. <laughs> like, right. You know, yeah, trying, exactly. Trying to figure it out. Um, but like you've been so into trading, that, you know, like we're behind on some episodes. So I think it's also just been, you haven't been just perusing wine sites because you've been yeah, watching think, stock videos. And, you know, I, that's, I think, I think that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, kind of to that point, like I watched yesterday, um, close to nine hours worth of just videos about trading. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, and none of it was new stuff to me. It was all just me like 
maybe it was even confirmation bias to some degrees, but like a lot of it was me going through going like, let me see if there's this information about this. Ah, I was right. <laughs> like that kind of, <laughs> but you know what? But to some degree though, I think that that is actually might've been why I liked this so much is because I haven't been doing anything special. And I specifically went out yesterday to get something special and different mm-hmm. and um, sort of, you know, reignited a little bit of my, my like. And so I did do a little bit of research on it. You, I can, I can kind of share some of the, uh, notes that I have on Vermentino, well, which we may quick. be revisiting. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I, you haven't sent me a link to in forever is Last Bottle Wines. Um, so That's true. Which I think is really interesting. But if you do like wine and you do go to tastinganarchy.com and you go to the Last Bottle Wine, um, you can get, what is it, like $10 off your first order and then That's like right. we get a kickback. So, um, you yeah. know, more of you guys did that. Maybe that would re-kick Jacob's... Uh, obsession of watching their site to find different varieties and uh that sort of thing so well you know and i haven't that's interesting because i haven't been sending you a lot of links from that and it's it's there's been a few that have come up that i've been interested in um oh and we do have a credit actually somebody somebody came and got something from us so we have a credit on the site thank you (laughs) yeah thank you ever uh so one of the so right now they actually have something up I'm actually kind of interested in it's a, it's a red blend is from Napa It's a 2014. Um, it is. So 2014 was a particularly good year in Napa. Mm-hmm. And so I am always interested in, in 2014s that come up. The The problem that I've, I've noticed with last bottle lately is, you know, I got really into drinking wine that I think was a little bit above my price point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one that they have right now, looks excellent. I would love to get a bottle of it, but it's 60 bucks. And that's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good price for this particular wine. Like if you look this wine up, it's a, uh, so Don, uh, I can't, I've seen it before, but it's, uh, S O D A R O. So, so Dar O. So Daro, I think is so Daro or Sodero maybe. Yeah. Um, Sodero estate and it's their estate blend. So mm-hmm. the blend is actually an interesting blend. It's uh, Cab Sauv, Cab Franc, Malbec, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. So this is a Bordeaux blend uh, for mm-hmm. people who have been listening for a long time, and uh, but out of Napa. And 2014, an excellent year in in Napa. Really, really good year in Napa. And uh, also one of my favorite years. So I, I kind of wanted to get this wine. And I thought about it earlier today, but I didn't log in and see that we had $30 credit. But at the same time, um, I've been, I've also sort of along your lines, I don't know if we've influenced each other or if it just happens to be like this time or whatever, but like I've been drinking too much for sure. And I think we've said this over the last couple of episodes, like I've been trying to cut back. Uh, This is the uh, last night I had a couple of beers and then today I had uh, this wine and that's all I've had to drink this week since Mm -hmm. last episode. So I'm trying to kind of keep my drinking down to just the weekends. And and as you said, like a lot of it has to do with, uh, or as you said, one of the things I've been talking to you a bunch is trading. Part of it is because when I wake up in the morning, if I'm groggy, I don't feel like I'm making the best decisions necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make better decisions in trading. And I And as you know, because you and I talk all the time, I'm doing well. I just would like to do much better. Yeah. So, uh, and I would like that edge. And part of the 
edge is not being hung over. So, <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of been my thought on it. Also just in general, sort of this along your lines as well, just generally healthy. Um, it may, if I'm hung over, it's hard to work out. We've got the gym in the garage now. So I try to work out, uh, at least five days a week. And, um, so just try to cut back a little bit. So that's kind of one of the reasons I don't talk a lot about last bottle wines because mostly I try not to uh, go look. I do get their alerts and they are great deals, um, but I just I'm just trying to cut back. So I'm just sort of um, just letting those deals kind of come through. And if if one comes through that's like a really good deal or a wine that I know I like, uh, I I know for sure if if they get another Ludum wine, any of the Ludum. Pinot Noirs, I will buy six bottles of whatever it is, <laughs> just because they they don't they're not around anymore. They don't do that anymore. Those the the two winemakers that uh, joined forces to make Ludum, they um, kind of went their own paths. But there is uh, Gaps Crown Vineyard is one of the Ludums that I really like, mm-hmm. and uh, it's they just don't make it anymore. So if it comes up again, I would get those. I I, I think it's a really good Pinot Noir. Uh, and I would probably say something about that, but they're expensive too. So it's kind of one of those things. It's like, yeah, I do. I do really like getting this stuff. And I actually kind of like drinking a little bit above my price point. And I think for about a year I was drinking above my price point. Yeah. Which and I do. Which. So and like significantly investing in it. Yeah. And, yeah. And it kind of had taken the point place of option trading for that about a year there. Yeah, exactly. It was just too expensive. And. I, I think that's kind of where I'm at, whereas I'm kind of going now like I sort of went from like from where we were when we first started the show and then just made this massive jump up to a higher price point and sort of missed everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the where I'm at now is I'm like, look, I kind of miss everything in between. Um, there's still a lot to explore at Kroger and we and we've done several kind of deep dives into Kroger. Um I miss a lot that's available at Kroger for a very reasonable price. And it, and it's not bad wine. Uh, I also missed a lot at Total Wine, I think, that is uh, a good buy. And uh, the other thing that I want to explore this year that I haven't yet is local wine cellars because they also get not necessarily the best buys, um, but they get really interesting, unique, small batch things at local wine cellars. And a lot of times it's vetted. So you have to find a good local wine cellar for this. There was one when we lived in Dallas that I actually liked quite a bit uh, called um, – I think it's just called Corked. I think it was called Corked. Uh, that mm-hmm. There was a there was a um, Middle Eastern place that had hookah that we liked that was next door. So Victoria would get hookah and then I would get – a, a couple of glasses of wine and they always had like small batch wine and it was on, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but it was on tap. So it was a wine bar. You could get it by the glass. Yeah. Uh, so I guess on tap is correct. I would, so I mean, could, like, I don't think anybody would, anybody, but the people who knew the technical difference would complain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. So that was kind of, I, we, I liked going there, but it's been shut down all of COVID. So, um, and and they may not reopen. There, there's been several places that we've noticed that are just not reopening or or have changed their business model completely. So like, there's a pizza place that we really like that mm-hmm. shut down. Uh, well, it actually before COVID shut down their Dallas location that we liked, and then there was a Fort Worth location that we've been going to during COVID. 
And um, they recently shut that down to takeout only and like reduce their space to just a takeout space. Hmm. It sucks. It was a bummer because it's a really good pizza place, but uh, and, and a different type of pizza. It's not like normal pizza. It was like um, a Neapolitan, I guess, Neapolitan mm-hmm. pizza or yeah. something. Uh, different type of pizza. Really good though. Um, but anyways, lots of uh, talking. Yeah. We're actually we're actually getting really close to the hour. Do you want to talk a little bit more about Vermentino, or do you think we've talked enough about that, or do you want to get into the article that I prepared? So give me the subject of the article. The, the subject of the article is um, something we've been talking about a lot lately, which is the brewery bubble. Okay, so here, how's this? We'll open next show with the brewery bubble. Okay. Then do wine review. And then if we have an article there, so then we can just finish out with the kind of a little bit of more information on this wine. Cause I think the brewery bubble is much too big of a topic. That's because, probably true. Like, it, it is. A, and it's a really long article too. Yeah. So. Plus, Cause like what's going on in Hampton roads. Cause like there are a few places that I've noticed that have closed, but nowhere near as many as it sounds like in Dallas, which is weird given the pure size differences. Well, this article, I mean, Dallas, actually, we haven't had a lot close exactly. They've kind of changed their, their business model, but this article is actually about California, which is had, um, the article doesn't get into the number of closures, but it does say that basically that, Things are rough right now. Yeah, there, so so we'll get let's that we'll tease that for next episode. Mm-hmm. And um, but I do have some notes more on this wine, uh, which is Vermentino. So just for everybody's uh, just general knowledge on Vermentino, this is a a white wine. It is a little bit fuller bodied than uh, than something like Sauvignon Blanc. That's going to be a little, that's going to be a light bodied white wine. Um, but it's not going to be quite as full of a body as like an Oak Chardonnay. So these yeah. are, these are two that people are typically familiar with. An Oak Chardonnay is usually very full bodied. This is kind of in between an Oak Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Typical flavors that you're going to get out of this is uh, lime, grapefruit, green apple. Um, they say almond and daffodil. Now you did say Mason that you thought it was very floral. The the when I had it cold, yeah, it was very floral, and I thought there was some like honeysuckle notes, but like I could, I wouldn't necessarily think daffodil, but I wouldn't say that's wrong. But I can kind of see some of the almond, like okay. with that more subtle almond flavor, not like the sharp almond extract. Yeah, 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 and I could see that too. Like once I read that, I was like, "Oh, I do kind of see that as well." So in this uh, kind of profile on Wine Folly of it, they say that this is a medium fruity wine. This actually, they say it's not a full bodied wine at all. It doesn't even have light body. According to this, is just not filled out. Um, so I don't know what that exactly means. But um, sweetness, it's it's usually on the lower sweetness side. Uh, so it would be semi sweet or uh, dry. Mm-hmm. And then uh, acidity closer to the higher end of acidity and alcohol, usually medium. So I, I don't remember if you said what yours was. Mine's 13.5. What's yours? 13. 13. Okay. So we're within within range of each other. Uh, the, the place where this is mostly grown is Italy. 
Uh, second, mostly grown is France, and then third is the United States, and then the rest of the world after that. But it is it is heavily dominated by Italy and France. It's about, I would say, just judging by this little circle graph that they have here, it's about a um, maybe 60, 66% to 33% uh, Italy to France. Wow. So it, it's mostly Italy, then France, and then pretty much nobody nobody else is making it except for the United States and on very small quantities. Yeah. Um so they they say uh, actually this is this is interesting. they have a little graph here where they say that the lightest white wine that they would suggest is uh Pinot Blanc. I am not 100% sure what Pinot Blanc is. I think we've maybe had it before, I just don't recall. I know we've talked about it in it maybe it has another name that Okay. It goes by two that we've kind of been like, oh, that's X, Y, Z. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, so they're saying Pinot Blanc is the lightest and Oak de Chardonnay is the heaviest. Vermentino's smack dab in the middle. So if you want kind of a a middle of the road sort of, uh, sort of like lightness versus heaviness, this is the one to go for. Yeah, because – like oak mm-hmm. chardonnay has a lot of that oiliness to it. Like it's not yeah. as oily as like um as Vignet, in my opinion, like for the tongue coatingness to it, but like it it also has the weight too. So I could definitely see like the oak chardonnay being kind of like the heaviest. Yeah. So they are comparing this wine. They say so wines with similar body and taste profile include and let's see this there's actually two wines in here three wines in here that I like quite a bit. Albarino. Mhm. Gruner Veltliner, which I I like a lot. Uh I don't get Gruner Veltliner a lot. It's not super available uh at at least not at, in my area. Um but I do like it. Uh Sauvignon Blanc is they're saying is very similar and I'm wondering if this is more of the American Sauvignon Blanc because the uh, one that I, th- when I say I like Sauvignon Blanc, it's really specifically, um, New Zealand mm-hmm. it, it is, I really like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I think it's really good. It's, it's super light, super crisp, super citrusy, very tart. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I like. Uh, so they're saying it is similar to that, but I'm going to say that I'm going to, I'm going to editorialize for them and say that they're talking about American Sauvignon Blanc. Um, like Washington or maybe Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they also say it's similar to uh, Similion. And uh, I don't know this one, but it's uh, Sauve. So S-O-A-V-E. I don't know that one at all either. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll make a note to check that one out. Uh, and then uh, I also don't know this one, Verdejo. Do you know that one? That's a Spanish V-E-R- one. It sounds Spanish, yeah. V e r d e j o. What's Wikipedia say? Yeah, Verdejo. It says uh, Verdejo. So Verdejo. It says it's an uncommon light-bodied white wine that grows almost exclusively in Spain. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that one. Yeah, I don't know it either. Uh, yeah, so that that would actually be an interesting one to find. I wonder if we can yeah, try that. The out. last two, yeah, those last two are both both interesting. So I'll make a note to maybe maybe we can try those as well. Uh, 
there's two styles of Vermentino. Uh, so there is, um, let's see, where'd my notes, where I lost my spot. Uh, so one style is uh, richer and creamier and the other is lighter and more floral and, and zestier it says. So I, uh, I don't know which one I got. I would assume mine is more the zestier style and not would, the creamier style. I would say, but given it, given your love of uh, Sauvignon Blanc yeah. and the specifics that you described about Sauvignon Blanc and how much you like this one, and the fact that you drink a lot of milk or at least did previously yeah. and do like, I'm not necessarily saying you like cream, but like that kind of, like to me, like, yeah, if, if this was creamy, you would have identified that right away. Yeah. And so this is actually something we've discussed about before. And there, I do actually like the white wines that have that creaminess. Sometimes it just, it has to be done in a particular way, but um, this is a, a fermentation process. that's really interesting. And it's called malolactic fermentation. We've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, and, and that is, it makes sense that malolactic would be creamier because mm-hmm. it does create a lot of the acids that are in milk like lactic acids and stuff like that. Um, so this type of fermentation does tend to create a heavier body and a more creamy mouthfeel, creamier flavors. Um, it would be interesting to me to get something like this and do a, like a mallow lactic with those sort of like heavy lemon flavors. And then you would have like a lemon meringue pie flavor, possibly but like who knows if or something terrible if it's creamy like if that zest flavor profile comes through yeah and that's that that's true because that may be a a difficult thing so like one of the things that they say about malolactic is you do get that rich butter-like flavor and you and you get that sometimes in chardonnay but although typically that's from the oak but it also might be that when you oak it it does get a little bit of that malolactic fermentation too Mm -hmm. And that's, um, and that's the thing is like, mm-hmm. like uh, lemon butter cookies yeah. aren't bad. So maybe that would be good if that actually came through. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be interesting to check out. I, I'm, I'm going to, I think that this might be it. This was a really good choice on your part because we can kind of like explore this a little bit more because mm-hmm. it's interesting and, and also not one that I don't think, I don't, at least I don't think we've talked about this before. I don't think we've had it before. So not, um, not really that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, they're saying here that food pairings with vermentino are uh, fish and chicken tacos. Uh, they're also saying uh, with cheeses, which is not your favorite, but um, ricotta, mozzarella, goat cheese. I don't know what this cheese is called. Uh, per- pecorino? No? P- Pecorino? P-E-C-O- Picorino, maybe? Yeah, yeah I've never Picarino. heard of that cheese. Okay. All right, Picorino and feta. Uh, herbs, they say, that goes well with this is um, oregano, garlic, thyme, tarragon, shallots, ginger, uh, cilantro, which I'm not a fan of. I think you're not a fan of it either. Uh, marjoram, parsley, sage, rosemary, basil, and lemon zest. So a lot of the Italian flavor, like the traditional yeah. Italian Italian American um, flavorings, and then like and kind of some of the French ones too, like the tarragon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they they do have. Uh, it says here. Um, I don't know what this is, but it says herbs de Provence. 
So oh, that's herbs that's like Provence. a very famous French herb set. Um, Got it. Okay. It's like the herbs of the Providence is, I think the, like the literal translation. Um, but yeah, that's pretty big in French cooking. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So that, that is, uh, that's what they're saying. And then vegetables that they say go well with this would be, uh, spinach and artichoke, uh, spinach. Well, this is actually a cheese dish because it says spinach and ricotta ravioli, mm-hmm. uh, green beans, arugula salad, spinach quiche, mashed parsnips. I do actually like mashed parsnips a lot. Uh, mashed parsnips, roasted zucchini with garlic and herbs, creamy leek soup, pea soup, roasted asparagus, uh, sunchokes. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, fresh cut corn. Uh, falafel. Oh, I like falafel. I do. Uh, do. Hum- yeah. Hummus. Falafel and hummus. I like both of those. Well, they're uh, the same white thing, bean. essentially. Well, fla- isn't falafel from uh, eggplant and hummus is from chickpea? Nope. Really? They're both from chickpea? Yeah. Well, really? that's the thing is I you could probably do falafel some other way, but it's traditionally just fried chickpea. Oh, interesting. For yeah. some reason, I thought it was eggplant. Which is interesting too, because I don't like eggplant, but I do like <laughs> I do like falafel, yeah. uh, white beans, yellow rice, cauliflower, pine nuts. I do like pine nuts actually a lot. Um, cashews, almonds, and tangerine. I don't know why tangerine is a vegetable. <laughs> I was going to say I don't <laughs> but, know why uh, half the nuts in there, which some yeah. of those weren't even true nuts. But like either way, like yeah, I mean, as as that list was going on, I was like. So everything, because like, <laughs> yeah, basically, arugula is kind of spicy. So like, yeah, like, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's this is one of those ones where like, happy happenstance, you know, like, yeah, that we, I picked one randomly, and it's one of the, in not like in a bad way, but like one of the few times where you were like able to go out and find something. And yeah, now yeah. like it would have been amazing if somehow you found the same one. Um, but I think the fact that you didn't find the same one and found one that you, and Hey, who knows? Maybe if you got the one I like or got, maybe you would like it even more, but that the, could be yeah. the fact that you liked this one so much. It's kind of like you've got an extra thing in kind of like your hip pocket for yeah, like white wines. Cause like, if you're like, Oh, like what's something like what's an exotic white wine? And you know, you could be like uh Gertliner, you know, like that one, or like Fermentino, or yeah. you know, you just gives you another one there. Well, you know, and and what's funny is that on that Gruner Veltliner, which they also paired, uh, you know what? It's almost now that I kind of think about it, it's any any time there's like a dry, heavier, fuller bodied white wine, I will say that it goes well with spicy food. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's like a really good pairing for, and I think it's just because, you know, like you ever had like, uh, some sort of spicy food and you just squirt lemon on it. It, it adds to it. Like I like that. I like having like a spicy, something spicy. And then you like Thai food, like Thai, spicy Thai food, you squirt lemon or lime on it. It gives it sort of like extra little. Oomph. Yeah. Like it. they, they talk about doing that a lot in a lot of the cooking shows I watch, but like I never, I never think about it, but I also don't tend to get like my spicy food is usually like Mexican food, yeah. um, which does have limes in it. So, 
but like I, I don't I get a lot of Thai food anymore, and I haven't in a long time because like my daughter doesn't really care for it, or yeah, yeah. we haven't found something that she cares for in it. So, but yeah, this has been a, a happy happenstance. And then so there's another happy happenstance coming up. It's called Childeberg, which That's is right. the tw- uh, March twenty or March <laughs> May twenty ninth through the thirty first, uh, just northwest of Austin in the Mule Shoe Bend recreational area in the great state or republic of texas depending on you know what's going on with the country by that time uh, maybe texas will be its own country again <laughs> um so yeah we're going to be out there we are going to you know basically things open up on friday in theory um but main day really is saturday sunday and then monday um i have to leave on monday but that's going to be fine there's going to be plenty of people out there lots of fun uh rollo's going to be coming out with a car from timeline earth or whatever they're calling themselves this these yeah. days will Time, be out there you got it right time yeah. timeline earth yeah uh, the boys from Peaceful Treason will be out there. I am sure there's probably like a hundred different shows that I'm not thinking about that are going to be out there. Um, so apologize to all of you guys for not coming up with your names and wonderful show titles immediately. Um, hopefully we'll see some old favorites that we haven't talked to and like Dino from Dino Files. Yeah, again, least? he's kind of dropped off the radar a little bit, but I think, yeah. it's just, I think he's just busy with school. Because isn't he going to like law school? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so like, school. I mean, that yeah. kind of makes sense, especially during yeah. like the time of COVID, like if you can just sure. bang out that degree and like get working. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, hopefully he'll be out again. Um, you know, maybe Theodore will be able to come down. Who knows? Um, hopefully. Uh, you know, the uh, Barbary pirate or Barbary cook. Cause I want him to be a pirate. Cause he looks so much like a very <laughs> yeah. crazy Scottish pirate. <laughs> like, right. It's super fun. Um, um, Agora Brewing, uh, Cotton, and oh my goodness, his co-host is so very nice. And I am uh, oh zero, but uh, yeah, zero. They they actually ended their show. So what? Yeah, they just they decided that they're going to do other things. So okay, well, so hopefully they, they'll they ended it. They'll be able to come out because I mean they I thought they had a really interesting perspective. I think yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I thought so too, but I think maybe you know Cotton's still in school. I think so. I think maybe he was. I really have no idea why, but I think yeah. they just decided they'll do their own thing. Yeah, so, well, that's um, fun. And, and, and uh, maybe, maybe you know, when you and I were in school, we had a lot of stuff to do, and and I think Cotton's actually like a higher level of school than you or I ever were in. Yeah, so, <laughs> so. I mean, that that makes sense. It definitely seemed not like I'm like I want to say cerebral, but like not in like oh negatively cerebral. You know, like he's definitely a very high thinking guy. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. You, yeah. And then, um, oh my goodness, I know his real name, but he doesn't go by it on Twitter. Um, he went to church with Rollo last time. Oh, uh, Orthazar. Yeah, Orthazar. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm really hoping he'll be out there again. It's so fun to talk to I him. I think he He's will. So He's great. Like, we, yeah, and he, he comes over. He comes yeah. over to our house and stuff once in a while. Yeah, so. and he doesn't live that yeah, far away cool. um, from you. So that'll yeah. be great. Um, so yeah gonna be fun we're gonna be doing some comedy and stuff over at iron wolf um looks like yeah that should be happening um so robbie the fire i believe is gonna be joining us um yeah so robbie robbie the fire uh has confirmed i've got to get him tickets actually to fly out i have not done that yet um so robbie the fire is confirmed owen glass Mm -hmm. uh 
the musical group, Libertarian Music Group. Uh, really good. It's like an eight-piece band. Or, oh, I, I could have had the number yeah. of pieces, but but really, really cool music. Uh, and then Brian Breckenridge has also uh, said that he would come down. He's a comedian locally and really funny. Uh, my wife and I saw him open for um, Shane Gillis, mm-hmm. who was uh, the comedian who got kind of like kicked off of SNL really quick. Yeah. Brian Breckenridge, uh, you know how they do like a local opener and then they do like yeah. the main opener and then they do the main show. Mm-hmm. So Brian was like the local opener and he was a hilarious and B all his jokes were like conspiracy or libertarian. Yeah. Like hardcore. And so like I, I afterwards I went up, I was like, dude, I can't, I have to like say like, you're really funny. And are you a Ron Paul guy? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we had like a really good conversation. Yeah. afterwards. It was really, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, but of course. yeah, really funny dude. Really great. Really, really funny dude. And for those of you who follow the lines of Liberty, uh, if you could, uh, needle, uh, Mark Claire, Brian, uh, McWilliams to, you know, try to make them recommit, uh, cause they were talking about being able to come out cause the libertarian convention was going to be happening at the same time right, last yeah. year. Um, so they were going to try to come out and then, you know, um, hopefully if he's available and, you know, we haven't talked to him in a while, but Howie, um, goodness gracious, it'd be great if he could come out, but yeah, yeah so that would be great. I've, I've talked to him not too long ago and oh oh this is the big announcement actually oh, yeah. uh, monica perez yes. of uh the the drive-by news blast um the propaganda report but she they do the pro, uh, the drive-by news blast every day she's going to be out there on saturday uh so if you guys are if anybody listening it well i mean i guess you're fans of us because you're listening to our show but if you're fans of monica and you want to meet her she'll be there for um the afternoon on saturday and, and possibly sunday but i think she um, they're, they're, she's kind of like putting in her family vacation into this as well, because I think her husband's from, uh, Texas also. Mm-hmm. So they've got like other things to do, but yeah. she's going to come out and do it. Um, I, I'm hoping we can get some other people. I've got a couple of other people that I'd like to come out to that, uh, would be just a ton of fun. Howie did recently order a Chilliberg shirt. So if you guys want to be cool like Howie Snowden, yes, go over to Childerberg.com and order the shirt. It helps yeah. the show out or yeah. it helps the, the event out. Well, it helps the event out. So And any proceeds after we cover costs will go to freeross.org. So um, you know where to find us, Twitter, Gmail, friggin' Reddit, Facebook, wherever. Reach out if you want to. Um, I'm not going to go through all those again this time, but <laughs> I will say um, if you don't buy a shirt because you're a cheapskate and you don't want to spend your GameStop or Stimmy money on us, but you are looking for something else, free Ross. Um, That's right. You know, hey, like, great if you can help fund us, but um, if you can help fund him, even better. So Exactly. Yep, yep. Uh, so I think that is it. So let me do some, uh, let's see what is available for me on the... The old soundboard. We're gonna go. We're gonna go ahead and do dramatic piano music as our outro. <laughs> so from from me, stay free. Stay free, everybody. <laughs>